June 1st, 2022. This is Showbiz Sandbox. I guess it's a special edition. There's no it, there's no episode number. It's the Cannes 2022 Film Festival Special Edition. I don't know what we're going to call this this episode, but Showbiz Sandbox is the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news-making headlines around the entertainment world. And today we're being joined by by two guests, Karen Krasanovich and Stephen Garrett. Uh, thank you both for joining us. Karen, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and, and well, I guess we'll then hear from Stephen. All right. Um, I'm an American journalist. I've been living in London since the mid-'80s. Uh, I've got an MBA in film finance, and I've written about um, film for, well, ever since then, uh, freelance journalist, broadcaster, writer, and I also work in the industry as a researcher, coordinator, and when pushed, clearance. And Stephen Garrett, uh, we've known each other for at least 20 years. Uh, you've actually been been on the program before, but uh, for those of you just joining us, why don't you uh, explain what it is you, you do in the world? Uh, I am your roommate in Cannes. I think that's what I do in the world. Um, <laughs> I, I am actually principally in marketing. Uh, I have a company called Jump Cut, which does uh, trailers and uh, posters and other sorts of promotional materials for independent films, foreign language films, documentaries that are released in the United States. And, uh, but I love journalism. I love writing about film and watching movies and talking about movies, which I started, uh, right after I got out of college. Um, and I got a, a, a master's degree in cinema studies at NYU. And then after that, um, just started freelancing and then very briefly was on staff at time at New York as the, the editor of the film section for a couple of years. Wait, very briefly, it was like five years, right? No, it was two years. So, I mean, I, I wrote for the magazine for many years after that. Um, and oh, okay. I was also freelancing for like Esquire and places like that. But um, no, no, it was just two years officially on staff. Well, and and uh, Stephen, uh, you were you were writing for the Observer there in Cannes. Karen, you were actually, and we I should point out, you write for Celluloid Junkie, my. My home. I write for cellular text, but I also wrote for GQ and Esquire. I didn't realize we could list all of our stuff. I didn't know what to do. <laughs> I just started talking. And the Times and the Sunday Times and yeah. also Entertainment Weekly. And but we won't go into that. You're you're definitely more legit than I am. I I am. No a, no no uh, no no. Stephen, you're the one with the with the good mic and the good earphones. So no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> Only if I talk loudly, apparently. <laughs> but I'm glad you could all hear me. All right. Well, now, um, Karen, this was your first time back in Cannes after quite some time. Uh, when yeah. did you first start covering Cannes? And then I guess, when did you stop? And then when did you come back and then stop and come back? I mean, I think that's kind of a, you either do something like that where in, in Cannes, it's the largest film festival in the world, but you either go once and you never stop going. And I'm speaking for people like Steven and myself, or you go when you need to go. Well, I mean, I think I think everybody who's who's serious about the film industry in whatever capacity needs to go at least once. You know, it might not be a cup of tea. A lot of people don't like festivals in general, but if you if you understand how to run a festival and you have the aims, your aims very clearly in mind, then it's really easy to negotiate it. Another thing is, it can be fun. You can meet people. Um, you know, random acts of of wonderful opportunities and. Uh, but you know there is also a downside. It's can particularly, 
Um, well, I started in 1990 and I went all the way to 1999. And then I decided there weren't shoes that could get me through the whole festival. <laughs> um, also, we had a lot of rain during that decade. And that was another, we didn't have that this year in 2022. There was, there was maybe one downpour and that was kind of about it. But um, Cannes was very different in the 90s. Um, it was the, the, we didn't have the ticket system that you have for screenings now. It was basically who has the best um, pass and who has the sharpest elbows. And we used to sneak our friends in in crowds underneath coats. You know, you'd never do that now. And I think it's one of the things that I can say about Cannes. It's gl glossy. It's glitzy. It's very impressive to go to. But it's got a lot of hierarchy and a lot of bureaucracy almost out of necessity. There are a lot of rules to can, and once you learn the can rules, you can figure out if it's going to be good for you. Now, I came back in 2013 on assignment for a luxury magazine, which was great, but I didn't really have the freedom of can, whereas actually 2022, um, thanks to cellular junkie, I have to say, I was able to come back and really experience the festival anew. And I think COVID has done great things for the festival. Wow. Okay. Well, Stephen, that, that's a lot to, uh, as they say on CNN, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, I, I, know, <laughs> I, know, uh, I think that's a very, that's a very astute summary of the way the festival has kind of evolved and changed. Yeah. Uh, did you I ever agree. sneak anybody, uh, you know, into a screening underneath your coat or were you snuck into a screening underneath somebody's coat? Uh, I have snuck into screenings. Yeah. I think I mentioned to you the, the one that I am most proud of was seeing breaking the waves in 96 back when there were bathrooms inside the theater. Um, and I just hid in the stall. I actually, I mean, I, I was sitting in the balcony. I wasn't fancy enough to get a ticket, uh, to the downstairs orchestra section. So after the previous movie, which I can't remember, I snuck down to the orchestra and then hid in the bathroom for 20 minutes and then came out and, and then was blown away by breaking the waves. You know, now, of course, no regrets. Now, of course, they uh, they prevent people from going into the bathrooms at the end of a screening for that very reason. And you're the reason that they prevent you from going to the bathroom. They, they got wise. They wised up. They wised up. The other thing they wised up about, I don't know if you remember this, but I think uh, I, this might have been 96 as well, because I vaguely remember going from uh I had a I had a public evening ticket, I guess, to um, uh, oh gosh, Secrets and Lies, and but then I had a really tight turnaround with Lone Star, which is playing down the street at, at the Kansan, and so I uh, I remember having to run out of the Palais, and it was right at the moment or the the Lumiere was going down the red carpet, and like the actual like stars of the movie and the director Mike Lee were all like being photographed and starting to come down. And I was like, you guys, I got to get to the next movie. <laughs> and I kind of pushed my way through and then went down there. But I remember there was one movie I was, I also snuck into in the Palais. I mean, in the, in the um, Kanzan, because you know, those elevators back before it was the Marriott, it was the, whatever the, the Noga uh, Hilton. Yeah, no, what was it? It was the Noga Hilton. Yeah. And so the, before they redesigned it, you could take an elevator down straight to uh, the, um, the theater. And so I think I, I snuck into at least one movie that way by just like jumping in the elevator and then coming out without a ticket. And that was also, if you keep going down, there's a subterranean passage from the Noga Hilton, which is now the Marriott, to the Noga Beach, you know, uh, where they had a lot of parties. And I remember the, the party for the Blair Witch Project was there in 99. And I didn't have a ticket, but I, I went down through the Noga Hilton, God bless it, and snuck through uh, the Underground Passage. It was very uh, good fellas. I snuck through like the Copacabana. Yeah, well, so, you know, 
I guess it, it, we should. Canada's very porous. You can sneak in. If there's a well, there's a way. But that is very true. You could actually swim up to a party uh, since many of them are on the beaches. Uh-oh. Um, but, Do you have any stories you want to tell us? <laughs> no, I've never <laughs> swam up to a party. But, uh, right. you know. Actually, for the, the Moon Age, for the Moon Age uh, daydream party, you could have swum up. Yeah. You would have been electrocuted by the large neon Bowie sign, but you still could have done oh it. Oh, my God. Plus you that did. sounds fun. Did you go to that party? Yeah, it was fun. And that, oh, now Moon Age. Wait, was it at like three in the morning after the movie ended? No, it was before. It was before the screening and the after party. <laughs> oh, nice! Oh, wow! Yeah, because Moon Age Daydream, uh, Brett Morgan's documentary about David Bowie, with lots of archival footage that has never been seen before. Uh, it's you know it's screened at midnight. What I love though is that this year, Can uh, decided. Uh, so here's something that's changed with Can. They would usually give out bags, you know, these like uh, market bags or or uh, you know, bags for, for members of the well, press. Every festival does that. I mean, Berlin had great messenger bags at one point. Yeah, so, they're, they're, yeah. they're messenger bags. And you get to, you know, shove paper in there and books and what, you know, your laptop, whatever it is. This year they said, we're going green. We're not going to do that. <laughs> okay, that's fine. But then they printed out these buttons that they would attach to all of the, the lanyards, which uh, would break. And one of the buttons said, the three-hour film at the midnight screening, uh, no thanks. And I thought, well, then maybe since you're in control of it, don't program a three-hour film at midnight. That's just. I think I, you know, Sperling. I was really surprised at those buttons because they were some of them English, some were in French, and they were supposed to be jokes. I think. Um, and I guess you know, it's nice that they tried this little thing at levity. But I noticed that a lot of people were leaving the buttons on their lanyards, which would catch the light in screening, so you'd get something that blinking in your face in the middle of a screening. But uh, yeah, it was it was really peculiar. Well, and Moon Age Daydream was two and a half hours long, so and it was yeah. at midnight. Oh, did you did you see um, Brett Morgan on the red carpet before the before the <laughs> he was doing a balance? He dropped down. It was like nineteen ninety two all over again. Dropped down, did a press up, got up, danced around. Now you know you mentioned that was pretty funny. Dan- and danced like Mick Jagger too. He had you did he had some sweet moves. Well, you know, you mentioned all these things that have changed. I know one of the things that uh, before we begin recording, you mentioned, Karen, was that the the uh, there are all these uh, barricades now. And there was a year, Stephen, where I turned to you and I said, I do not understand why can doesn't have more barricades because somebody could just drive a truck right through the quasette and could just plow through the not necessarily the red carpet but the 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 street in front of the red carpet well lo and behold a couple months later that same year somebody did that in nice and ever since then the 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 security has been it was it's been tighter since 9 11 but it's gotten tighter and tighter each year especially after that well also i've noticed that for example when they did the the 75th anniversary when all of the stars, the, the security was doubled virtually. Uh, a lot more people, a lot more guns, a lot more barricades. And uh, I heard a lot more, you know, you, you, could, you knew when it was time for a red carpet because you'd hear the police cars going through, not Rue Dante, but the one coming straight down from um, the station pretty much. Well, and, and you know what Thierry Fermo would say about, about our conversation here? 
you know, he'd say, like, as always, they're talking about everything but the movies. They never talk about the films. That's what this is supposed to be, a film festival. And indeed, uh, I counted, I, I saw 41 films, and I'm not counting Pacifiction, which I not only fell asleep during, but then walked out of before uh, the first hour was over. Uh, and I know, Stephen, you, you're probably up there. You probably saw just as many, if not more. I was technically in um, 42 different screenings. Uh, but I did not necessarily stay for all of them. I stayed for most of them, but then there were a few that I fell asleep during. So, you know, you, you well, know, I stayed awake in 16. So you guys got me beat, but I did stay awake. Uh, in 16. Uh, wait, wait, how many did you see? I go for volume. I go for bulk. Just 16, 16. Well, I was focusing on the competition ones. And also I really didn't want to fight the red carpet business after four o'clock. I just would see something and then leave. I didn't fancy, you know, it gets to the point where the red carpet's really wonderful to watch, but to be involved in it. And, and Stephen, as you said, trying to get to screenings, this has always been an issue in Canada. And I know it's like first world problems, but trying to actually get business done, if you need to go to a screening, can sometimes be a bit of an Olympian task. Well, and this year there was one rainy day where I was actually at the cult picks party. Uh, ironically, and Karen, you were there as well, uh, and w which was up above the Voix Rapide. So it was a good 15 minute walk from the Palais. And it started raining as I was leaving to go see, uh, I think it was the twin, the silent twins. By the time I got to, uh, to the Palais, I looked like I had just gotten out of the shower, fully clothed, totally wet. Nobody wanted to sit next to me. It was, I, I was drenched, but, uh, you know, we, we keep talking about these different, uh, buildings, the Noga Hilton, now the Marriott, these are, there are different sidebars. So there's the main competition. There's the director's fortnight or the Kansan de, de Realizator. There's, uh, what's the name of it? Uh, the critics week, uh, Semen de la Critique. Semen de la Critique. Which by the way, had the best film I saw this year, I think after sun, which I know Steven, you saw as well. It was very good, yeah. yeah. Directed by Charlotte lovely. Wells, and it's a, kind of a very small, tiny movie uh, that about a Scottish divorced father taking his 11-year-old daughter on a summer, two-week summer holiday to a resort in Turkey, and they just have some lovely conversations and moments, and you're thinking, what am I, why am I watching this? But by like half an hour in, you realized, oh my God, this is amazing. I have no idea why, but that's, it's that's really great. Yeah, that's a that's a real parent dad movie, and that's a great thing about about being based in Britain, is that some of the some of the really great movies are from the UK. And so I think, oh, I don't have to watch this here; I can watch this when I get back. So kind of <laughs> inside, you know. And I can also watch it when I'm not sweating or very tired. Yeah, that's the thing. It doesn't rain very much in Cannes uh, anymore, but boy, you can you can literally walk across the street and uh, break out into a heavy sweat. Uh, because it is broiling hot Sunday. Particularly, particularly on a Sunday when miraculously the older people come out with the walkers and the canes, you know, which is great. And the people come out with their kids, which is no fine. And then they come out with their prams. That's lovely. And dogs. And Sunday, it's like family day in Cannes. Yes. And it's just, <laughs> wow, the population on the street has just doubled or tripled. Yeah, but that's been like that for a while, right, Stephen? I mean... Yeah, I, I know, but it's still... It's, it's still, get out of my way. I'm trying to work. Yeah, you forget. It's a, it's a living, breathing beach yes. town. You know, it's a resort. Sure is. And dead as a doornail, probably when no events are going on, which is probably a, really great for them. So that's lovely. 
Well, now, I, I mean, I, for, you know, you saw 16 films. I saw 41. Stephen, you saw 42. I, I mean, you, certainly we could not discuss all of them. Uh, I, I don't know where anybody would want to begin. Obviously, I guess we would have to begin with Tom Cruise, who showed up to yeah, show Top I mean, Gun Part 2, Maverick, whatever it's, Top Gun Maverick. And uh, he pretty much brought the town to a standstill. Yeah, yeah, very, very much so. I mean, um, I, I saw it before I left the UK, which was great. And the rapturous reception that he got from from Cannes, you know, honorary Palme d'Or, and the the jet, you know, the the jet fighters going over, and also talking to the crowd and just being a star. And I think after two years of COVID, really, really appreciated how much we missed that kind of contact and that kind of star star power. And also, I mean, it's not a Tony Scott movie, but the movie really does the job it needs to do. What, what did you think? I mean, Stephen, you and I were at the, the I guess it was Rendezvous with Tom Cruise. Uh, and, and It was homage, homage at Tom Cruise. Yes, I noticed they didn't show anything from Legend. I noticed <laughs> in this clip reel. That's not true. No, that's not true. That's not true. What they didn't show was Nicole Kidman. She was not in the montage, yeah. but they did have a quick <laughs> moment of uh, him kissing Mia Sara. Oh, okay. Legend. All right. Well, yeah, yeah. Uh, I noticed. Yeah, that's not a film he brings up quite a lot. He brought up Taps quite a bit, apparently. <laughs> formative, formative. Taps was a formative. Yeah, for sure. And also a great movie. I love that he kept giving a shout out to Taps because I mean it's just an underrated movie in, in my opinion. I loved it. Um, but uh, no, I thought it was interesting. You know, they, the uh, montage was also a very generous running time. It was like almost fourteen minutes long. It's a very long montage. Which, you know, for usually if you're watching, I don't know, the, the, the Oscars or the, um, you know, the Grammys or whatever, you know, there'll be like a five minute montage at best, you know, but this was very generous, very, uh, you know, uh, showered him with praise. You know, it's interesting because, of course, the movie's been, uh, was supposed to come out in 2020. Um, there was a can last summer. I was thinking about this, about how I was talking with somebody at work about, you know, like, why didn't it come out? Why did it play can last summer? Why didn't it come out last summer? Hot back summer. It could have had an amazing opening uh, weekend. Um, and I think it's interesting it, talking about after watching him appear in can, you realize, wow, this is a movie star really and a studio really using the festival just as much as the festival wants to be used by them, you know, to generate this kind of global uh, news event in entertainment. And I, I can't imagine Tom Cruise showing up last year, even though Cannes did go forward, but you know, there were all the, the vaccination mandates and everybody had to wear masks. It was required. Um, and I, I think it was very true to them also to push it just one more year, knowing that in their back pocket, they could probably get a can and it was more likely to be a, at least closer to a normal year, which indeed it was. It felt very normal this year. For that, no, I think that's a really good point, Stephen, that, that they, the, it was a kind of mutually beneficial for Tom Cruise and Candace sort of use each other, as it were. Because I was in Berlin in February, and we were still having to get tested before every screening, really, really restricted. And there was none of that joy, none of that you know, meeting in groups and everybody masked to the hilt. And also they were saying you had to wear a certain kind of mask. So this was like a liberation. It was really brilliant. It really was. Yeah. It really was. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the only masks, I mean, nobody wore masks. The, the only people who I, who I, we noticed wearing masks, uh, Stephen were people. I noticed that if you worked for a big daily and you, you were there, I noticed those people were wearing masks. 
Well, the the the, 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 the um the people showing us our seats, the ushers. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, but if you noticed, everybody. by the end of the festival, they were not wearing masks anymore. No, I actually didn't. Ah. Yeah, like everything in Cannes, security is very tight on day one. By day like 15, you could just like walk into a screening. I'm joking, of course, but you know, it, it definitely yeah. gets a little less. Weirdly, I found that uh, the, the last screening I went to was the, the Kelly Reichardt um, showing up. They virtually, I mean, they made me take off my lanyard because they said it was going to get, it was going to show in the magnetometer. I thought, I've been coming what? here every day. And the security was ultra tight for that film. Now, which was uh, really weird. Okay, let's talk about showing up for a second, which is, by the way, it would be like working can in reverse because it was one of the last films to show. Uh, and showing up, what did you think of showing up Kelly Reichardt's film starring Michelle Williams? Well, I, you know, it, it is a Kelly Reichardt film. It's very subtle. Um, I found it was, it rewarded uh, attention. I, th I thought it, it had some beautiful, beautiful moments. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be a big breakout, but a wonderful performance by Michelle Williams. And um, if you like pigeons, it's a really good film for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at one point, so here's here's my memory from showing up. It will forever be my memory from showing up. It's sitting next to Stephen, actually, in the Bazan, because that's where that, it's a very small theater, the Bazan. It's maybe 200 seats, 300 seats. Uh, and he turns to me midway through the film and he said, is this film going to get good at all? Is this film ever going to get any good or any better? Uh, and, and I was like, I was wondering the same thing myself. <laughs> because. Mm, well, yeah. You, you know, I, I, it's funny because uh, I, I, I was not, I would not look forward to seeing that film again. It's one of those classics. Like I respect the film. I admire things that are in the film. I don't know if I could say I really enjoyed the film or loved the film. Um, there were definitely others at the festival. I'm really looking forward to seeing again, like EO, you know, the donkey movie, of course, triangle of sadness, which can you mentioned is, is a blast, you know, um, I, I felt it was, is, you know, kind of low hanging fruit in terms of its subject, but, um, it, it, it's done in such an entertaining way that it was very forgivable. Uh, even it's two and a half hour indulgence of a running time, but, um, but showing up, I mean, I, I think what I admire about it is it's a very empathetic portrait of a very unlikable person, uh, and a person who's, who's very unhappy. Um, and, uh, one of those things, for example, as Sperling, as you remember, and Karen too, uh, that she uh, had a hot water, uh, her, her hot water was not uh, working in her apartment, so she couldn't take a, a shower. And I literally halfway through, I was like, just go take a shower. I don't care. Like, there are places. The thing is, there are ways to solve the problems that she had in her life. And I think that was the point of the filmmaker is that sometimes you get in your own way if you're in a rut or if you're the type of person who just is prickly and doesn't socialize as well as other people, et cetera. So well, I, she was I, trying to solve it though. She was, she was bathing at the, at the, you know, at the gallery, gallery where she wasn't allowed to, she's bathing in various. Right, other right, right. So I mean, no, she, she did, did try she, to solve it, but it was one of those things. I think it's the, it's the dance of personalities that this was about. Now, whether you're interested in that or not, this reminded me of just kind of a slower Nicole Holofcener movie, basically. Yeah, I mean, very, so very so absurd. we should say the the she that we're referring to is Michelle Williams playing a sculptor 
uh, in, in at an art socks and Birkenstocks. Yeah. 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 <laughs> pr- pretty and, much. And, and I would never look that good in any of that stuff. But. Yeah. Um, now. Yeah. She wore the dowdiest clothes ever. It was very impressive how dowdy her outfits were. Even for her gallery opening, even for her, her exhibition, just like pull yeah. up your socks, woman. Come on. <laughs> but, but now you mentioned. She's a, she's a sad sack. She's a sad sack. It was definitely one of those movies that that got a lot of, like all the critics loved it, it seemed like. And and Stephen and I were looking at each other going, what did we miss? Like, how did we, how did we screw this up? I I think it was, well, I don't think think we, you know what? I don't think we missed anything. I think, yeah, I'm sorry, Karen, you should go. uh, No, 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 no. After you, Stephen, really insist. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say, I think, I don't think we missed anything. I think this is a classic example of movies that critics adore. Mm-hmm. and are uh, maybe a little too much in the tank for it. Well, I, I think it was put on because they knew everybody was going to be really tired. And I think <laughs> that they just wanted a film that was just going to be calming and soothing. And the star was going to be there heavily pregnant. I think she was wearing Chanel. Was it Chanel? Don't think it was Chanel. But, but, and she was there and she did, they did a long stint on the red carpet. And I think it was just kind of a, like, like a little, having a little bit of sorbet after your main course, just to cool you down a little. <laughs> well, I mean, there there were other films that played, of course, Tchaikovsky's Wife, about Tchaikovsky's Wife by Kirill Serebenikov, who, which I think, variations on a theme, it, you know, nobody really liked it that much. Uh, Rodeo, about dirt bikers in, in, in France, which had no likable character in it. Uh, a film that people will actually probably see is Armageddon Time, uh, a film directed by James Gray. It stars uh, Anthony Hopkins and... Uh, you're going to have to forgive me, Anne Hathaway, and, and I'm forgetting the uh, the person who plays Jeremy Strong. Jeremy Strong. Uh, I kind of like this film. Yeah, it's, it's there's a lot to like there. I think it's done quite well. Sorry, Karen. Well, it's stu- it's stuffed with Oscar winners. Number one, Emmy winners and Oscar winners. I mean, pretty hard to go wrong. Yeah, that helps. That definitely helps. <laughs> 1980s Queens. There you go. Yeah, set in the 1980s in Queens. It was uh, a very kind of even keeled movie. Uh, Certainly a coming of age story uh, deals with race. Uh, do you think that this is an Oscar bait uh, come, uh, you know, November? Possibly. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of goodwill for it. Um, certainly coming out of the festival. Uh, it scored quite high at the, in the, in the infamous screen uh, grid critics grid, which is a wonderful um, measure barometer, uh, kind of hot take barometer of what the uh, critics are thinking. Yeah, well, they, did, um, they didn't get the Palm Door right this year, though. Uh, well, it didn't win any awards, did it? No, it didn't. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Yes, no, Park Chang Wook was uh, their favorite to win the Palm, and and I think it ended up with second place, didn't it? Ex Aquio, as they say, in that time or something else. Yeah, uh, this is the the uh, EO you're you're talking about that it, that it uh, tied with the Donkey movie. EO. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, uh, yeah, jury prize, which is third place. Yes. Oh no, no, no. Hold on. Wait. What are we saying? No, best director. That's what it got. Park Chang Wook got best director, and I think there was a lot of love for Park as a director going into the festival, um, and very uh, a lot of anticipation for the film, which is very stylish. Uh, not really my kind of thing. I, I hate heavily plotted uh, murder mysteries. They drive me crazy. Uh, but Karen, like what the repetition of scenes again and again and again? Isn't that your favorite uh, thing? My- 
I love repetition of scenes. Now, what movie <laughs> are we talking about here? Because I'm lost and I was at decision the festival. Uh, are we talking decision, about this decision to leave? Decision to leave, which is Park Chen, directed by Park Chen Wook, and it's a uh, you know did, did uh, you know police detective uh, did he did did the 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 widow kill the husband or not? And then he, she gets married again, and then that husband dies, and it's very Hitchcockian. And uh, like you, t- uh, Stephen, I was like, you know what? I don't even care anymore. Just but it was really beautiful. Every single really shot beautifully directed. Was just yeah, funny. absolutely. Oh no, for sure. Yeah, the production design, the the um, the, the conception of it, the, the, as they say in France, the mise en scène. I mean, I, I think it was a, a very apt prize to give the best director because it was beautifully directed, but very confusing for my taste. A little too. Now, one fine morning, played down the street at the Kanzan. Uh, it's, uh, it was the director's fortnight film by Mia Hansen Love. I was a little surprised it wasn't in competition. It stars Leia Seydoux as kind of a woman who falls for a married man. And I know, Stephen, you saw it uh, and liked it. I liked it as well. I loved it. I, I thought it was wonderful. I, um, I, and I was surprised. It's a head scratcher that that was not in competition. Um, and something like Les Amandiers, which I was not crazy about, uh, yeah, I mean, was, you know. That might have been just, you know, let's have an Italian director uh, be in there, and it's a movie about acting, and, you know, but maybe they well, felt it was, it was a movie a about overacting, basically. Les Amandiers. It was about overacting, that's right. Yeah. It was a movie about overacting. And you're talking and about Les Amandiers was, uh, in the English title is For Forever Young, directed by the Italian director Valeri- Valeria Brunei Tedeschi, about, it's basically fame, but in French. With more death. With more death. And it's also yeah, very pretty. More AIDS and uh, yeah, yeah. But I think I mean I think what's, what's interesting. Yeah, I only saw stuff that was in pretty much only competition things. But I think what's what's really signals and people are asking me what's coming out. I mean, I just saw my osteopath. She wanted to know what should I see from Cannes, which is great. Um, you know, I think what's really important is when films get uh, distribution, particularly and during the festival, uh, the Palme d'Or winner Triangle of Sadness and Holy Spider. Uh, both uh, got uh, North American deals, distribution deals, uh, Triangle of Sadness with Neon and Holy Spider with Utopia. And I think that's a real signal of quality, particularly because I don't think Holy Spider got, was uh, cleared for distribution in its home country. Now, Holy Spider is a uh, it's a serial killer movie, effectively. It's, uh, you know, the search yes. for a serial killer. We know who the serial killer is as the audience because we watch him, uh, you know, running around killing uh, prostitutes uh, in Iran. It's it's an Iranian film. Uh, it's a true story based on a true story. And it was directed by Ali Abbasi, uh, who directed uh, Border, which is uh, was a Swedish film. I'm not going to give away what it's about, but if you want to see Border, it's a very strange film. Good film, a good film, worth seeing. But it definitely takes a few turns where you're like, what the heck? This is, it's like surreal. Uh, so, this film, Holy Spider, was far more formulaic, almost. Conventional. Yeah. I, I yeah. suppose it was, yeah. but I also found the insight into the sex workers in this holy city and this man who thinks he's, he's doing, you know, doing God's work. I thought that was an interesting clash. And I suppose you could throw back to, you know, Tony Curtis and, you know, the Strangler or whatever you want to, Boston Strangler. But in a, in a way, I just thought that the insight and also the fact that we have sympathy we understand these women. And also, of course, and I don't know if this is based on reality or not, I should have checked because the story is based on a true story. Um, the outside 
um, crime reporter who goes and puts herself up as bait as a woman out there putting herself at risk to try and catch this guy. I thought that those were interesting. Yes, that's a formula, but not with this kind of a culture, I suppose. And that's what I found really interesting. I think similarly to um, Boy from Heaven, again, it's that sort of internecine wrangling in a religious school, but not in a setting I'd seen before. And that was enough to make that formula work for me. A uh, Boy from Heaven set in Egypt by uh, Tariq Saleh. Uh, and he, it's, you know, that, that's kind of a, I don't know, how, how would you describe that movie, Stephen? You said it's a TV movie. I, I, I kind of felt the same way. Uh, Someone described it as the name of the rose set in <laughs> Iran's holiest city. Yeah. Well, you know. it's in Egypt, uh, but yeah. There's, oh, I'm sorry. Yes. In Egypt. Yeah. It's, you know, it's again, not my favorite type of movie where you have lots of uh, political machinations behind the scenes and it's a bit of a mystery and, um, the whole thing felt, I mean, you said TV movie, it just felt conventional too. And maybe, maybe the innovation of both these films is that, uh, here's an Iranian movie doing these kind of what we would consider conventionally lurid, if that's even such a thing, uh, stories that we get, you know, time and again on, you know, a, a, an evening of CBS, uh, television watching CSI. But I think, you know. Stephen, I think what's important here is that that film would have been made. You know, exactly. That, that oh, for sure. Wasn't really allowed to be made there. Wasn't actually wasn't at made. all. So I absolutely. Think yeah. Important no, I thing agree. About the festival is that it's it's showing us what's breaking out. And I suppose from from our standpoint, it's like oh, it's formulaic, big deal. But I think it's it's really important as an emerging kind of force that where these new stories are coming from. But I think you're right. I mean, we we can sit back and go, it's a formula. It's not as good as we would hope it would be. Not as innovative. I think we're just inured to our country's uh, lurid uh, spectacles <laughs> a little too much, <laughs> but you're absolutely right. No, I mean, and to give can a birth to these kinds of films is, is really a wonderful uh, way to represent what's happening in that culture. And, and I think Karen's kind of summed up exactly what I said to you after seeing both of those movies, which is, you know, it, it's that particular, those countries and that culture learning how to make uh, commercial narrative films, you know, yeah. where, where, you know, they actually, they're more Hollywood-like, but if you were to see films, pri if you were to see those countries' previous films, you, you might say, wow, they, you know, this isn't something I'd want to see at all, whereas these movies are actually uh, commercially viable. Uh, a film that may not be commercially viable, uh, certainly Neon will find out, Crimes of the Future. What did you think of that? It's a David Cronenberg film. A lot of people thought this might win the Palme d'Or uh, because it was you know, maybe Cronenberg's turn, so to speak. Uh, I liked it. Uh, I know, Stephen, you liked it as well. Karen, did you wind up seeing it? Yeah, I really, I really liked it. And I thought for a Cronenberg movie, I thought it was really accessible. It's a family film. What? According to Cronenberg. <laughs> it, 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 I didn't particularly find it offensive. I know it was kind of, they said that a lot of people walked out. I think one person walked out. I think uh, Cronenberg said, I only saw one person walk out. Come on. They were saying, oh, seven people walked out. Well, they probably walked out because they had another screening to get to. But I, I found it very watchable. I thought production values were high. I thought the cast was amazing. I thought the concept, and I hadn't seen the previous one from the 70s, but I thought the concept was fascinating. And I thought it was a very, very consistent film overall. And I know it's the one that, that of maybe the top, it was in the top five of what people really wanted to see. Right. I mean, it's, oh, for sure. Going into the festival, I think it was a hot, hot ticket. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's David Cronenberg doing you know, body horror. Uh, it stars Leia Seydoux, Viggo Mortensen, Kristen Stewart. 
uh, about, uh, it's set, I guess, a little bit in the future, uh, where Viggo Mortensen is spontaneously generating new organs in his body, and then there's surgery involved, and, you know, people with... We're not talking Wurlitzers, we're talking real organs. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> yeah, and also, you're going to want all of the furniture in that film. I want one of those feeding chairs. <laughs> you want a breakfast chair? <laughs> they, then the, then the, the bed that shapes to your body and... I mean, the, the furniture was amazing. And then, and not to give too much away, spoiler alert, um, the two technicians that basically become Bond villains. Yeah, those, they're hilarious. They're absolutely hilarious. Very funny. Do you know, but it's funny, Sperling, you said the word body or the phrase body horror, which has been associated with a, a lot of his movies. Do you know, unlike The Brood, unlike The Fly, unlike Dead Ringers, it's not meant to be horrific or dark. I think it's truly... Um, a movie that's kind of brimming with ideas and there's nothing horrific about it uh, unless you're horrified by just surgery, which I guess is gross. Uh, but I, I, it's funny, he, he didn't make a film that was meant to titillate or horrify. I, I found the film like absolutely hypnotic. Um, and and uh, it's funny, I think people might ding it. Karen, I'm curious to hear what you might think of this. I think people, uh, conventional or conventional, mainstream audiences might ding it for having um, kind of bad acting, quote unquote, where I felt it was very kind of stilted acting, um, almost mannered, uh, almost flat at times. Um, and it didn't seem to, it, it honestly didn't bother me. I got into its rhythm, um, which was very much a rhythm of exposition. You know, it was, it was so full of ideas to talk about that I felt most conversations were just people explaining what was happening instead of, you know, sharing emotions about how they were feeling about what was happening, so to speak. You know what I mean? Yeah, it kind of kind of fit the story in a way because I felt it was a heightened reality. And uh, I know people were saying, "Oh, it's so sexual; they're turning surgery into sex." Boy, I was looking for that, and I didn't see it. I must have <laughs> looked away, but I didn't. I didn't find that. All, although I found that that the surgery surgery was handled very artistically and in a very interesting way um I knew, but also it's this wonderful mix of of grittiness and then futurism uh, and, uh, which and, i think Cronenberg uh, does so well and if you want to see a body horror movie in which people not only walk out of they run out of then you should see dehumani corporis fabrica which is the documentary by uh, Verena Paravel and Lucien Casting Taylor, which was down at the, uh, we don't have to talk about it, but it was down at the director's fortnight because that is, that's real surgery and they're not pulling any punches. You're seeing real everything. It's, uh, yeah. Um, but I know, uh, Stephen, a movie that got you singing was uh, Elvis, directed by Baz Luhrmann. <laughs> uh, you, you know, it's, it's, it's shameless in its adoration of Elvis Presley. And, but um, I, 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 I think you need to like Baz Luhrmann in order to really like this movie. It's a very relentlessly entertaining movie. It is almost, um, you know, it has a kind of coked up montage approach to telling the story. Um, and I don't think that's necessarily does service to, deepening um the impact of presley's life on on american culture but it certainly offers a very uh, kind of visceral and excited snapshot of what he meant um in pop culture for that 20-year span that he was alive and really impacted people's um day-to-day -day, um worlds we could also start up the latex actor um theme 
we could throw Tom Hanks <laughs> in there. Um, oh God, Tom that was Farrell and uh, who else? Uh, Gwyneth Paltrow in the fat suit. Um, no, but I mean, I, I, it's, it's, it's a stunning. It's very, very watchable. It's very entertaining, um, particularly if you know anything about about Elvis. Uh, and it is, it is a Baz Luhrmann film, which it kind of says it all. It's you can't expect anything is seriously dramatically cohesive. But it certainly has a lot, a lot of energy. <laughs> Lots of energy. Very energetic. And I say, I say that as a fan. I say that as a fan. I, I had a good time watching it. Of course. Yeah. And, and maybe two films that we can can close off, uh, no pun intended, because one of them is named Close, uh, is Broker by uh, Hirokazu Koreeda. Uh, and this is a Japanese director who's making his first Korean language film. Uh, I don't know if you saw this. Did you see this movie, Karen? I, I didn't see this. I did. I wasn't wasn't around for the screening, but I kept hearing about it. So I'd love to hear more. Well, Stephen, I know we, I, we saw it together. I think. Wait, wait a minute. You guys were joined at the hip, weren't you? Because I saw these guys walk. Okay, go on. Uh, yeah, we were. Speaking of, uh, yeah, stuck on you. We were doing the Fairly Brothers. <laughs> um, I thought you know. So first is uh, the fact that this was a. Um, this was another Korean production by, what is that company? CJ Entertainment? CJ Entertainment. Big company in, in Korea. Uh, no affiliation with Cellular Junkie, I'm assuming. No. Um, no. But, you know, uh, Korea is a Japanese filmmaker, and here he is making a, a movie in Korean with Korean actors, takes place in Korea, uh, addresses a lot of his, um, his concerns and his themes that he returns to, which is uh, families, uh, you know, non-biological families, families we create, the families uh, around us uh, that we fall into accidentally, that the ones that we deliberately create. And then, you know, the, the actual biological families that uh, cause us a lot of heartache and, and melancholy. Um, so in that, it is a very much a creative film. Um, Broker refers to these guys who, there's something called a baby box, apparently, where, uh, you know, women who uh, want to uh, put their kid up I guess for abortion or just don't want to be mothers. Um, you mean adoption, not abortion. Babies off. And adoption, not abortion. I'm sorry, adoption. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but they can drop their baby off uh, at a hospital and then the hospital will take care of it. And there are these um, couple guys who actually go into the baby box and steal the baby and then sell it on the black market. And that's what this movie's about. Um, it's interesting and it's, it's, I think, a little more lighthearted uh, despite the severity of the, the sobriety of the, the, the subject matter. Um, but, uh, there's a light touch to it. It's actually quite funny. Uh, Sperling, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's, it's a little bit funnier than his movies usually a little less that, well, no less sentimental. It's actually quite emotional and, and sentimental in its own way. Yeah. No, um, I thought it was lovely. I thought it was a nice movie. I like Coriata's movies. He does. A, he always does a good job. Uh, Lucas Don't, uh, if I'm pronouncing his correct name correctly, is the director of Close, uh, and he, I guess this may be his second film, if I'm not mistaken. This is the second film he won the Cameron Door, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, um, Sperling, sorry, sorry, Sperling, Steve. I was just going to say, I just looked at Broker doesn't have U.S. distribution yet, which surprises me a great deal. Um, whereas Close has just been picked up for 100 territories by the match factory. So, you know, this is this is this is one of the things that frustrates me about about festivals. You see these amazing films and then your friends can never see them 
<laughs> well, don't give don't give up hope. These these well, movies I, are I like hope pop so. Up. I, I remember back at San Sebastian. I saw a film. It was absolutely incredible, and it just sunk without a trace. Well, and Match Factory is a sales uh, entity, so they're they're selling the film, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, well, I mean, the fact that it's, it has been picked up for 100 territories, so I guess that they feel, they believe that there's going to be a market for it. But anyway, continue with Close. Well, it, it's really about uh, the intense friendship. Uh, as the logline says, it's kind of a friendship between two boys, 13-year-old boys. And I, I guess, I, I don't know, Stephen, how do you describe this movie without ruining it? Well, uh, you know, reading about the film before we saw it, um, you know, the way that the director talked about it was um, it, that this was an exploration of masculinity um, as it develops, uh, particularly among, you know, particularly among boys, of course, boys are the ones who are masculine by definition. Uh, but, uh, you know, as boys become men, what is the coded language of masculinity? What are we allowed and not allowed socially to, to do when we want to express our affection? Um, towards a friend. Um, and maybe one of these kids is also uh, discovering that he may or may not be, you know, attracted to men as well. Um, so I think it's, it's a very astute um, study of gender. It's so beautifully done. Um, in the first half, particularly, I was a little um, disappointed with the, the there's a plot twist about halfway through and I felt like that was a bit reductive um, in a way that disappointed me because I, I was so taken with how rich and complex the first half was. Maybe that second half is uh, more complex than I get the credit for and I need to see it again but in the moment uh, I felt a bit disappointed. Did you see the film uh, Karen? Yeah I did. I actually liked it better than Girl. And I thought I could see why a lot of a lot of my my um, male colleagues were finding it deeply, deeply moving um, because, you know, not living in the male culture, not being imbued with that. I could see that, you know, if you're you're a girl, you can pretty much do what you want. But I didn't. Really, it was interesting to see the, the the structures that that seem to form as you get older. So, yeah, it was quite moving and beautifully done. Very sensitive. Well, and the movie that uh, certainly. You know, uh, when we before we saw it, it you, we were told, Stephen, this is, uh, you know, p potential Palm d'Or winner. I was surprised uh, it, it it didn't. Uh, well, maybe not win the Palm d'Or, but uh, I guess did it win anything? I guess tied for Grand Prix. Oh, OK. Which one? We're, 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 we're talking about close. Yeah. yeah no, it, it mm -hmm. tied for second place. It did quite well. Yeah. Oh, OK. Along with EO, one of my favorite films of the festival. There, there are certain themes that run through can each year. This year, it was donkeys. That, that's for sure. There was a donkey in, in many movies, uh, including uh, EO. Surprising which is about amount. The best, the best speech, by the way. Uh, acceptance speech for the award, during this award ceremony was uh, Jer Jersey Skolomowski's uh, naming all of the donkeys that he used and thanking them personally. It was adorable, and it took him a long time. <laughs> there were six, weren't there? There were like six of them. And he named their addresses, and he thanked them for their performances. <laughs> <laughs> But now the, the movie that, that, of course, this festival will, will be remembered for is Triangle of Sadness, which is uh, an English language film by Ruben Ostland, who I think, um, Stephen, you and I said, look, if this guy wins a Palm d'Or for Triangle of Sadness after winning a Palm d'Or for The Square just five years ago, and his first film, went, uh, Force Majeure, winning the camera d'Or, he's going to be impossible to work with. He's going to be like, yeah, uh, you know. It might go to his head. 
You know, actually, I, I misspoke. He didn't win the camera door. He won the uh, the top prize of all certain regard. Uh, but he had made a couple films okay. before that. Uh, but his batting average is pretty good right now. I mean, his last three films all won top prizes it can, including two palm doors in a row. Yeah. I, I really love Triangle of Sadness. And people were sort of like, what? It's just got, you know, I don't get it. It's so boring. But, you know, it's a really wonderful political, political social satire. Yeah. It's beautiful. Production value, beautifully made. And I, okay, another spoiler alert. And two thirds, two thirds of the way through, Dolly de Leon, Dolly de Leon comes on board or she comes to the fore. And, you know, Filipino actress has been in a lot of, I don't want to say telenovelas, but, you know, been on a lot of television. An astonishing performer that, that you would never see in a, in a lead. And she, she just nails it. And that was breathtaking. Um, I mean, yes, there, there, I mean, it did, it did lurch into uh, suspension of, you, you did have to suspend disbelief quite a bit. I had a, had a friend from Vogue say, uh, well, a Russian, a Russian billionaire wouldn't be on a public boat. He'd be on his own boat. Uh, well, okay. That's but, pretty you know, good. Maybe because he's traveling with his mistress and his wife, he may like a little bit of, you know, an audience. Slumming. to stop the fighting. He was slumming. So, yeah, he was, he was slumming. Absolutely. And, of course, the surprise is, okay, I'm going to say it, Woody Harrelson appearing. Oh, he's great. He's great. Well, no, but it's not a surprise. Yeah. I was surprised he was a Marxist. But yeah, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, what was uh, I, I don't know who was that that actor who plays the Russian oligarch? Is it Zlatko Boric? Uh, I, I will oh, say terrible. this: I saw him on the you know just having lunch somewhere, and he looked exactly like I was like, so you didn't spend a lot of time in the makeup trailer, did you? Because he didn't make it to makeup at all. Yeah, just- I mean, he looked exactly. He's this no kind need. of like big. Yeah, yeah. It's like, well, good, good job. Well, I mean, what incredible, yeah, Zlatko Burek, what incredible casting, and and also, um, just you really felt for the team on the cruise. You know, I think that there was that real division, and that's why I think it's it's throwing back to the really good old fashioned satires of the sixties, the French ones, uh, you know, like Weekend or whatever. We it's just unbelievable, but you you really get it. Well, or swept away, right? Like Lena, Lena Vermeer's film from the seventies. Well, I don't know if I'd go that far. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, and you said that there were a lot of people who didn't like it. We should point out that you are you're a member of the London Film Critics uh, Society. Yeah, I forgot to mention that I'm the secretary of the UK Film Film Critics Circle. Critics Circle. Film, yeah, yeah, I and, forgot and, about that. Really. And and, and mm. I guess a part of that, I, I should say that. Uh, a lot of the UK journalists were like, uh, and, and, and like, whereas the Americans yeah. were like, you know what? I, while I was watching this film, I kind of looked around me at the audience and they were laughing and they were having a great time. Now, does it go too far in some scenes? Absolutely. That's Ruben Oswald. That's what he does. Yeah, I, of course. And, and that's when we know that it's satire. You know, the minute the whole crew has to jump off the, the water slide, you know that we are now entering a different realm. And I think that you, know, you, you do have to realize it's a movie. We've been told this a million years, but it's a movie. And it was funny because most of the British uh, contingent, I mean, we've got 104 uh, bona fide members of the critic circle in the film section. And most of them that went to Cannes really thought Close was going to nail it. Huh, so. interesting. I, I, most of the Americans thought showing up was going to nail it. Oh, God. Yeah, I did not think that. <laughs> we love socks. What what would you how would you describe Triangle of Sadness? I mean, it's it's like th- it's told in three parts, but it's really 
I guess a cruise for the super rich uh, go goes wrong, and you know it's going to go wrong at some point. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, the 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 hierarchy on a cruise ship is turned turned uh, topsy turvy. I mean, if you're looking for a log line, I suppose that would be it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, and a log line for this year's can. What what, what would this year's can uh, be for you? The log line for you, Stephen. What would what would it be? Movies are back. Movies are back. Did they go away? I COVID guess. didn't win. Yeah, COVID yeah. didn't win. Well, you know who didn't have any sort of uh, fanfare on the uh, when they were. N- nobody talked about Netflix acquiring movies uh, this festival. Nobody like Netflix didn't swoop in and pick up five award-winning yeah. movies. Um, although apparently they did some wheeling dealing in the Marche, but um, it was the return of. Well, it was the return of uh, you know cla- traditional distributors, you know, with reasonable yeah. offers for good you know, art house films. There's it, some it, really interesting stuff normal. in the Marsha too, which was fascinating. They said that a lot of people waited to the last minute to, to really sign up. But I mean, there's some, you know, these Russell Crowe movies and Liam Hemsworth movies and, you know, uh, Josh uh, Duchamel, Robert Zemeckis. I mean, lots and lots. I'm not going to mention Mel Gibson, but he's in there too. What about Kevin Spacey? You're not, not going to mention Kevin Spacey's movie? Uh, no, I'm going to leave that to you. <laughs> <laughs> Job Let's done. Let's just say, there's apparently still <laughs> oh, amazing. Okay, one thing, market, if yeah. I could just add before I, before I forget, did you notice the lack of bling this year? I noticed the lack of really terrible dresses, really terrible shoes, and too much makeup. And I think that may have something to do with the fact that the really big yachts weren't around. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Do you know what I'm getting at here? So you, you know something that's interesting. It's so triangle of sadness. There weren't enough yachts. Okay. In the, uh, <laughs> yes, maybe <laughs> they're like nobody wants to be on a yacht. Nobody wants to be on a yacht. Look at what happens to them. Nobody wants to be on a Russian yacht. Let's put it that way. So you know, I, I, heading back home, uh, I you know, God bless Air France. They 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 were they just kind of lollygagged around uh, and eventually realized that all of the people on the Nice to Paris flight were headed to the. Paris to Los Angeles flight. And then if you make the first flight late, the second flight is going to be half empty and may not be worth flying. So there I was, uh, you know, getting off the Nice flight and, and they basically said, okay, if you're going to Los Angeles, everybody meet, meet in the hallway. So we all met and we all raced through customs and I'm there with, with a, with this person. She looks, she's wearing designer everything. Uh, and there, by the way, was Sharon Stone. I should point out Sharon Stone was one of those people. But this other person, she looked maybe 20, 21. Uh, and it turns out she was with her parents, bright red hair. And I'm like, this this has got to be a model of some kind. She just is holding herself like a model. Sure enough, she's a model. She was at in Cannes to go to, quote unquote, a couple of premieres. And I said, oh, which mm-hmm. premieres? She says, oh, uh, Triangle of Sadness and Elvis. I said, oh, I really liked Triangle of Sadness. She says, oh, I didn't see the movie. I was just there for the red carpet um, uh, with a brand. Wow. Yeah, there were, I think there were a lot of people that, that just went to pose. And I said- Because I, she was, I couldn't see him in the, in the auditorium. I said, you wait, you walked the red carpet? Yeah, I, was, I had to wear the dress on the red carpet. I said, so when Can says they're trying to go green- Inviting models that they then allow to walk on the red carpet that have to fly halfway around the world to do so, that's going green. That made me. You know, when you said so, I thought you meant so did you were going to say so did I. 
I wore the dress. No, um, but but, what but we, no, uh, no, no, there is a point. I mean, I mean, Tilda Swinton tried to tried to make a sustainable um, move for that, and that didn't really get held up very well either. And I think there is an issue between business because red carpet is really important to bring in people who might not go to the cinema. It's really important for people to just say, "Oh, that looks great. I'm going to see that. She's in that." And and we can't underestimate the power of that. But I think there is a balance to be made between business and going green. It's a problem. And, and what would your log line be for this year's can, Karen? Oh, me? Yeah. Movies are back, baby. Oh, okay. <laughs> movies are back. Can proves. Movies are back. All right. That, well, I guess there's not much more that could be said about this year's can. I'd like to thank you, uh, Karen Krasanovich uh, and Stephen Garrett, uh, for taking the time to to fill us in on uh, on this year's can Film Festival. Well, thank you, Sperling, and thank you, Stephen. I'll be happy to interrupt you anytime. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you both for a, a lively and lovely discussion. I learned so much. <laughs> well, in, until our, I guess, our next uh, special episode. This was a special episode. We don't normally do this. In, in, until next time, play nice. Uh-huh.